I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, today, we're going to be talking about the Irwin Brothers, I Still Believe, but I'm not going to be by myself. I have with me uh, an iconoclast, I like to think. Uh, he's, uh, you can't, you can't uh, turn around without, he- without seeing this guy. Okay, that's not necessarily true, but because I've watched some of his videos on YouTube, other ones are constantly recommended to me. So, if you that's know about this... Know. Yeah, the algorithms are working. So if you know about this guy already, you'll continue to know about him. I guess that's not exactly the same as him being incredibly prolific. But the point is this. Uh, He he is a a film reviewer in his own right. He has a very uh, popular YouTube channel. It is uh, Kevin McCreary. Kevin, how you doing? It's me. I'm doing great. Well, there are some people who can't turn around without seeing me. I do stalk several people. Sure, absolutely. So hopefully they're listening. They better be. Yeah, well, you should should send this to them and and say, yeah. I'll just hand it to them. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. You know what? I feel perfectly fine uh, telling this story because I know for a fact she's not going to hear it. Uh, my, My mom, God bless her. I, I was about to say that's of what course. I say about my parents. <laughs> of course. Uh, but yeah, she she's not super tech savvy and can't quite figure out how podcasts work. So there were a couple of episodes that I was talking about once uh, in which that's, they sounded very interesting to her. Uh, years ago, I had Tom Wilson from Back to the Future uh, on the show. He played okay. Biff. And uh, she was very excited at that notion. And so uh, she's like, now, how, how do I get it? And I tried to walk her through it. And it was... Um, It'd be comical if it wasn't so infuriating. So she literally said, can you burn it onto a CD for me so I can just listen to it in my car stereo? So, uh, so I did that and I thought like, man, just taking this, this thing that is so readily accessible and making it so finite as to burn it uh, onto a CD yeah. uh, for her. It's a uh, man. Yeah, I, I would find that funny if I didn't do a lot of freelance work for like, Christian sure yeah and literally have to spend a whole day burning DVDs for one of my clients so uh still to this day <laughs> you know but the thing is like burning DVDs I get maybe I get that a little bit more as opposed to something that is subscription based and you can listen to it on your phone on your computer like you can get it very easily yeah. uh, so choosing to limit oneself but at the very least like but of course, and I don't want to ask for more details because I don't want you to throw your uh, clients under the bus. But yes, I'm sure uh, Dropbox would be easier. Yeah. Than, yeah. 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 Um, it's the Southern Baptist. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's the Southern Baptists. Yeah, all of them. Yep. Now, that might be true. Uh, many years ago, I, uh, I worked as a, as a runner for a, uh, 
a post-production house. Mm-hmm. And so one of my jobs is to take various drives from uh, my place of work to various studios and drop them off and then go pick them up and all that sort of thing. And this was in 2009. So the idea of Dropbox was just kind of as like a, as a, as a reliable means of, of transferring files and quickly um, that was still kind of coming into its own. And so uh, like my job went away, then once it happened, like the job went away very quickly. Um, And, uh, but I loved that job because it just meant like, all right, I, I'm out of the office for long stretches of time, just listening to podcasts by myself in, uh, in my car and then getting onto a studio lot and walking around with, you know, a clipboard and a Bluetooth and a baseball hat, just like everybody else is uh, on a studio lot. And, uh, it was a lot of fun, but yeah, the, that job was not long for this world. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I, rabbit trails about jobs that, uh, don't exist anymore. Sure. We, I used to work for a radio show that used pro tools and mm. Pro Tools took way too long to implement faster than real-time exporting. So there was somebody, like you just had to, you bounced the file, which meant you sure. played in real time. And that's how you turned it into a WAV file. And, uh, and so there was a, a whole job that was somebody <laughs> you would send it over to and, and she would all day be bouncing the radio show. So feel, it doesn't feel super efficient, but again, when the, when the technology is limited, I guess that's what you got to yeah. do. Yeah. Um, but, uh, thank God for technology, putting all of I us know. out of business. <laughs> I know. Well, it gives us, you know what? I'm joking by the way, a real job. That's what I say there. You, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not, uh, there are some people that, uh, decry the, the, the evolution of technology over time. And it's just like, well, that's, that's going to happen one way or another. And it does thing. It does make things tremendously easier. For example, you're not in the same room as me right now. You're somewhere in the flyover. And it used to be that what we would have to do is say one question on a cassette, <laughs> mail that to each other. Exactly. And, then I, and the other would answer the question. Yeah. Yeah. Podcasts used to take in the area of about eight weeks to produce. Yeah. Yeah. Podcasts so we're tough back then, but thank God for Steve jobs. I think, mm-hmm. um, by the way, when I, when I say flyover, I am joking. I am not somebody, I'm not, uh, uh, uh that type of Californian, but uh, I like to throw it out there every once in a while to see if somebody else laughs. And when they don't, I'm like, okay, I gotta be careful that they don't think I'm uh, some sort of elitist. I am, but not right. in that way, but I'm not a G ge- yeah. to back it up. Uh, boy, that's true. Um, I'm not a geographical elitist, but you know, I do have a master's degree from UCLA. So I'm just saying, I kind of know what I'm talking about in every regard. So Kevin, when I think of you and I do all the time, uh, I think of somebody who knows about Christian movies. I know all about them more, much more than I do. Like I used to, I used to talk about them a lot more on the podcast. Um, but then I look at, at your show and you review movies like smaller films. And what fascinates me is like, there are films I'm like, I had no idea that such and such a film existed, much less 
somehow produced a sequel. How on earth is this happening? And meanwhile, you, you're out there, you're doing, you're doing God's work, uh, reviewing yeah. these tiny films. It's, well, you know, sometimes I feel bad, but the tiny ones are the most fun. Sure. You know? I mean, there's a certain level of enjoyment with the big ones, like we're gonna talk about today, mm -hmm. uh, because there's so many people who like them. Where the tiny ones you watch, and it's much more like a mystery science theater situation sure. where you're just riffing. And um, those are the ones, though, that I feel the worst when the, the director writes to me and is like, hey, I, I saw you review <laughs> my movie. Yeah. Um, well. <laughs> it's, but, yeah. I mean, what do you expect? I mean, I think that I think that Christian movies are in its infancy, and so a lot of people don't expect that someone's gonna review their movie when they make sure. it. Sure. And uh, I'm I'm just growing pains. I think I'm I'm the yeah. result of growing pains. When you make a Christian movie now, someone might review it. And you know. In an abstract way, Christian film itself is is uh, the result of growing pains mm. uh, in in the form of Kirk Cameron. Um, yes, you're yeah. right. Think about that. Uh, oh. So, but no, it is it, you know as somebody who produced a micro budget documentary uh, this year, and then you know some people are reviewing it, How some long people are not. Was that that was. Uh, let's see. 10 minutes, not quite 10 minutes before you brought that up. Well, I try. Well, I mean, look, aside from the fact that it is an official selection of a Christian film festival that I've already forgotten the name of, incidentally, um, uh, shoot, it's like the Christian, it's like Christian family or family Christian film festival. Oh boy, that's unfortunate. Um, but yeah, it's an official selection of a generic Christian film festival, which I'm very grateful for, of course. I, yeah, that's nice of them to, to incorporate it. But, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the film, but I also recognize like it has, it's gotten mostly good reviews, but there are some where I read them. It's like, huh? Okay. I, I guess I see where they're coming from. And so it does require a bit of a, a thick skin, which I am not, which I don't have. Uh, so I really should not have gotten into this at all, but yeah. uh, nonetheless, but what fast, again, what fascinates me is that these, these smaller budget Christian films, I mean, I guess they get some kind of play on Pure Flix because, you know, uh, Pure Flix needs to, just like Netflix, needs to have like a, a, a wide variety of content. Yeah. Yes. And so, but then the fact that these, you know, often these dramas uh, will, res will have like a sequel. Like, what is it? Uh, there's one, I believe it's called Catching Faith mm. that has a sequel. Yes. Yeah. And that's because like I hadn't, heard of catching faith not to suggest that my hearing about it means that it is worthwhile there are plenty of films i haven't heard about and then it turns out they're amazing but uh this you know it's one of them. it's not one of them. No. <laughs> yeah uh it's not one of them but apparently it was quote-unquote successful enough to warrant a sequel in the eyes of its creators i can't figure out no i what the criteria either. is I'll, I'll be honest with you as somebody who has never really uh like i've never really had a a budget i mean i guess at this point with my channel i have a patreon so people support it and whatnot sure. but like i i don't know where to begin to get the amount of money it takes to make a movie you know like yeah. it's with your movie it makes sense that it it takes a little bit of money and a lot of patience and time 
Yeah. Uh, because you're not filming anything, you're recording. You you can record yeah. your voiceover in your house mm-hmm. and then gather the footage and and but like to put get scenes together and yeah. Um yeah, it I mean there's a certain level of respect. I always I always say this like I when I look at all the names involved in movies and and the fact that people can get a movie together, it's the same as a band, you know? Like that you can get four dudes together who don't end up hating each other uh to make long enough to make it an act an actual song like that's Mm -hmm. really impressive sure you know i would pin that to my refrigerator uh but it's same with with movies like that it's impressive because and that you got the money to be able to do this and you made a movie that's so impressive and fascinating but like I'm also like, how is it that this movie gets made? Like, it gives yeah. me the feeling that I maybe my dumb ideas could be made into a movie. But the difference, I guess, is that I know if I made a movie, it probably wouldn't be great. So I don't make a movie. See, I disagree. I think you probably, uh, I mean, it's not a guarantee that if somebody has an understanding of good movies, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, if nothing else, I bet it would be well edited. Um, I was fishing for that compliment. You gave it to me. Yeah. And I appreciate it. No, but yeah, it's, I don't know. I guess that's why I review stuff because I'm like, I'm, I'm being defensive over something you, you may not know about, but sometimes Christian filmmakers will feel like I'm punching down. Sure. Sure. And so I'm responding a bit to that to say like, it's not really punching down if it's more, budget than i've ever had to do a thing yeah it's it, not that i care anything can be criticized <laughs> but yeah. uh you know um yeah christian the christian movie the, the thing is i didn't know about these movies before either uh i started reviewing them first one i reviewed was left behind which i did know about that was pretty pretty well marketed in sure. like, the christian circles and so i reviewed that one kind of as a joke and then moved on to uh, Bible Man, which is so, so like, I was like, oh, I'll just, I didn't realize there were so many Christian movies, but yeah. once, I, once I got the snowball rolling, I had a lot of people sending me like, hey, have you seen this one? Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> like Catching Faith <laughs> or Princess Cut. And sometimes Catching Faith actually was that I like to review Christian football movies every, um, every January. And, Are you a football uh, fan? Not really, no. Yeah. Uh, that's what makes it so fun. It's <laughs> Christian, it's football, uh, and often it's very patriotic. And so sure. it's these three, it's the trifecta of Americanism. Characters just eating apple pie all day long. Yeah, it's just so like, and it's three things that often get conflated, like that people feel need to go together. Yeah. You know, like that if you don't like football or you don't like America, or not that you you have not that I don't like America. Just these three things have the spirituality given to them. Yeah. You get movies that someone wins a football game. That's it's great that you you were good at your your ball playing, <laughs> but it's also something that has this like cultness to it that's so uh, creepy sometimes to me and and patriotism can be that way as well and uh christianity can be that way so i love it i love the overly patriotic overly football overly christian movies so i review those and it's fun 
And, uh, and so I, I end up finding really obscure ones sometimes. Well, the one we're talking about today is not obscure uh, at all. It is, I still believe, directed by the Irwin brothers, who uh, have made a couple movies that we've talked about uh, on More Than One Lesson. We talked about Woodlawn, a film that I thought had uh, a questionable script, but some pretty good performances, and uh, the filmmaking itself was not bad. Uh, and then um, you get uh, I Can Only Imagine, a film that uh, I liked more than most Christian films, but not as much as you know, real films, uh, right. though it has its moments. I, and, and I think uh, Dennis Quaid is doing good work. In fact, I think the whole cast is pretty good. Um, but, uh, yeah, and so... bad performance in the movie. I no. Think that, uh, I think that... Um, what is it? I, I can only imagine. I can only I think imagine. That it, it is the type of movie that crosses over the threshold of Christian movie into, you know, it's, it's like into a, the the next league you know it got called up into the big leagues unfortunately yeah. it's on the bench the whole time yeah but it's still in the big leagues yeah i had right. the same and you know what i we're going to talk about the we'll talk about the positives of i still believe first but what i will say is that like this may sound like a back a backhanded compliment but boy it sure isn't which is my issues with i still believe are the kind of issues i have with any movie did i uh, say i still believe I, I meant I can only imagine. No, no, no. You said you said I can only imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Because yeah, um, yeah. I still believe similar. Yeah, like in, in both in both situations, like it's is going to sound. They're movies. They're recognizable as movies. They look like movies. They sound like yeah. movies. They're structured like movies. It really is just like this could be better in this regard or that regard or whatever it is. Um, which of course is the same thing that I talk about with any movie, regardless of what kind of film it is, if it is in fact trying to be a real movie and not just yeah. settling. And I think so many, so many Christian films just settle. I think and, that's what, when I approach an Irwin brothers movie, it genuinely is from the perspective of me just reviewing a movie. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that that's admirable. It's impressive that somebody did it. Somebody yeah. figured out, how to make a real movie and it be blatantly Christian. Yeah. And uh, so to briefly talk about uh, what we did like uh, about the movie, and I will say that uh, it's based on the, the true story of uh, Jeremy Camp, a, uh, a Christian. Anytime you say true story related to the Irwin brothers, you have to use some, some air quotes. Well, yeah, it's, I kind of a uh, true story really with almost any movie I'm willing you're, to put air quotes yeah, around that except Woodlawn's cover I'm sorry you wanted to talk positively I yeah sure. it's like going though I can't stop no I appreciate it yeah says the true story like it's there's no based on a true story inspired by a true story yeah uh, a true story I heard one yeah. time I think uh, it's yeah. the true story and the amount yeah. of fake stuff shoved into that movie is uh yeah it's it's fine for for disney sports films like they do that all the time sure remember the titans is like 90 percent fake uh the uh cool cool runnings is extremely cool runnings. uh false they, yes they didn't sing a song about making bobsled team <laughs> uh glory road probably is the same way um who knows but it's not uncommon to take characters and combine them to be one character sure. uh, to make two events that happened at two, two different points in someone's life and make them happen simultaneously for the sake of time. You're taking somebody's whole life and you're putting it into two hours 
that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and you can watch my review for why this is why Woodlawn or uh, I can only imagine is a little different in that regard. Yeah, it's a little teaser for you. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, oh, and and please do. Uh, the the show is called uh, Say Goodnight, Kevin, and uh, the website is SayGoodnightKevin dot just dot com. Yeah. Okay. That is. I got it. I got that. <laughs> you, sn- you snared it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's the story of uh, Jeremy Camp who uh, went off to college and uh, met uh, a young woman and fell in love with her and uh, found out that she was in fact. Uh, sick, uh, but got engaged and uh, they got married and then she died uh, tragically at a very young age. And uh, that obviously uh, was heartbreaking. And But then he wrote uh, a song that I'm told is very popular. I don't know Christian music very well. We'll get to that in a moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we move on to the next uh, phase of the, t- of the conversation. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and so the, he wrote a song called I Still Believe. And it's all about this idea that like even in the face of tragedy, uh, his, his faith uh, persists, which is a perfectly fine sentiment. Uh, so that's the basic story. It's st- the film stars K.J. Appa, who I'm largely unfamiliar with, but my wife is a fan of Riverdale. And, uh, and so she, uh, and you know what, based on what I've seen as I like walk through the living room as she's watching it, it's like, it looks pretty good. It looks like the kind of this, a weird kind of mystery show, which the idea of turning Archie comics into that is fascinating to me. And I'm kind of excited. I, I want to go and watch it. Um, but it stars KJ Appa, Britt Robertson, who I don't have a lot of, uh, a lot of knowledge of. But I remember she was in a movie years ago called Tomorrowland, and I loved her in that. Yeah. And I love her in this. I think she, she, there's an idiosyncrasy to the way she plays characters that really creates a specificity, uh, even if in the script there isn't much. Um, no. And then you also uh, get... Uh, well, I do think it's funny that you said a young lady when sure. she's, what, 30 at this point? So not quite as young as they want you to believe. Younger than me, which is uh, <laughs> playing teenagers, because I think she even in Tomorrowland, she was supposed to be a teenager. And yeah, she re- she definitely reads young. But at this point, like, it doesn't bother me, like, unless I it's hate it. No, okay, I'm I just sorry. Think it's funny that like uh, Appa is he's 23. Oh, yeah. So uh, I don't know. It's fine. People can be of different ages, as we'll see in another movie we talk about later. Is that true? I forget now. Yeah, about the same distance in age. Oh, okay. I thought that's right. why you picked it. Oh, no. <laughs> what? But you were so focused on the age of the actors that you were like, yeah. you know what another movie yeah. has a yeah. similar difference in age? And that's why I wanted to bring you into the conversation, because I know it's a, it's a, a pet peeve of yours as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so, uh, okay. <laughs> I hate when movies have women who are so much older than the guy. It happens all the time in Hollywood. It's the worst. These, these vain actresses. I know. <laughs> um, they so, always have these, these powerful older women, you know. <laughs> exactly. And they just, yeah. they're boy toy co-stars. <laughs> Uh, the 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 it's degree to which we are being oh sure of course you know because he reads young he you does know? read so young he uh, definitely reads one third his age like his co-stars are it's 
even though he, you know what, even though Tom Cruise does look, of course, great for his age, it's getting creepy now. Like it's getting really like, come on guys. Right. And the idea that like that Hollywood just thinks like, this is unfathomable that he could be with a woman, his own age. Like if he was married to Julianne Moore, it's like, it makes it like, it makes in the, in the, in the mind of Hollywood, it's like, it makes him look bad that he couldn't get a younger woman. Meanwhile, it's like, what if he just happens to have been married to this woman for 20 years? And then they both grew old together the way the vast majority of people do. Um, yeah, it's that needs to be then that you can only do that if that's the focus of the movie. Sure, exactly. Uh, and then Some it has weird, quaint story where two people grow old together. And or it's in the end. Like or it's about the stuff they're not talking about and how they're just yeah. get, growing resentful of each other. Yeah, uh, I feel like there are precious. Few, this is a tangent. And we got to be careful about it. But like, I feel like there are precious few movies about marriage, like a marriage that like is that has of course the the there's arguing and that sort of thing but it's still a healthy marriage as these characters grow old and i realize that yes there needs to still be drama but like right. i feel like most movies about marriage specifically one that's gone on for like 10 15 20 years um is usually about how these characters are not happy with this right. and like wish they, they could do something together else. for external reasons yeah and but they would have much rather had a different life yeah however the movie we're watching now that we're talking about now does have an older, happily married couple. It does. Uh, frankly, I, in some ways, I wish that it had more of that, uh, partially because I like Gary Sinise as an actor. He yeah. plays Jeremy Camp's father and Shania Twain plays his mother. Uh, and I think the two I, of them have I a nice chemistry a of that. Uh, yes. The characters are fairly two dimensional. Um, yeah. Like cause I don't more, maybe more, but I wish it didn't have several of the scenes it does have. And I wish it had different, like the best scene in the movie. I, I don't know when, I don't know what the rules are about talking about this movie. Uh, uh, it, it does involve Gary Sinise, in my opinion. But, um, and that one is a great scene, but there is a scene. Well, let's talk about it. You're talking about something positive. So let's, let's. Okay. Uh, yeah, and that's right. So I guess spoilers for, for the movie. Of course it is based uh, uh, or inspired by a true story, whatever they want to say to, you know, uh, already fictionalize some it. of it. Yeah. Okay. That's true. That she dies. Okay. But you know, there could be emotional beats that people like are, are shocked by. That's probably not uh, no, there true. Isn't. No, there isn't. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this, this great scene that is your favorite scene of 2020 so far, yeah, what is sure. it? Uh, so after the death, of the love of his life, apparently, mm-hmm. uh, of, of Jeremy Camp's love of his life, who he just fell so hard for. Um, he's sad, if you can imagine. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine. He's a bit downtrodden. And he's, he's like, I don't get it. I don't get why bad things happen to good people and stuff. And, uh, and he, his, he talks to, he has this sit down, heart to heart, father son conversation where. Uh, basically, we, we get the, the lesson. It's a, it's a nice full house moment mm-hmm. where the father explains to the son why his life isn't bad because, like, his life isn't good despite the bad things that have happened to him in life, but his life is what it is because those things happen. Yeah. And, um, and I think that while it's cliche to have a movie where like a Christian movie where it asks the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Cause that seems to be like 
it, it's also kind of the only time Christian movies tend to go deep and, and have some sort of like internal uh, analysis of their faith. Yeah. And, um, and so I appreciate that. And I, I think that the Irwins, they, they thrive in an environment where it's a father and son relationship. Sure. Um, I, I mean, I know that they have a, a father that they, they admire and love. And so that's probably what it is. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's about five minutes of, of what feels like a real genuine contemplation in the film of what, what it, what do you do with, having somebody you love and care about die you know how you deal yeah. with death in a, in a tragedy and stuff um and i i wish there was more of that type of reflectiveness boy that is uh, i agree with you completely we'll get to that in a second i did want to bring up okay so a couple things first off i think the film i think the film looks very good uh it looks like a movie uh, as as I have mentioned before, I think I mentioned it uh, on a panel that you and I were a part of uh, a year ago. Um, the vast majority of Christian films are these, like, sun, regardless of budget, are these sun-dappled, very few scenes take place at night, oddly enough. Yeah. Everything just looks like bathed in this warm yellow light uh, at all times. Uh, this is a film that is not afraid of, of darkness, uh, at least visually, and I think shoots it quite well. I think it is a, a really well put together film visually and that includes composition as well yeah um where the characters are sitting and john Irwin, uh very much his direction he was a uh dp okay movies and is very good at it from what i understand he's he's a visionary you know like that's his where he thrives is he he visualizes scenes and knows how to make them actually happen well, God bless him, because uh, frankly, the so many Christian films, understandably so, they focus so much on on the writing. Not to suggest that the writing is on good, the but dialogue they, on the well, sure, yes, having yeah, dialogue yeah. and and having everything explained through the dialogue. Yes, uh, as opposed to, and the camera is usually just it, how do we I, capture the dialogue, and then that's it. Hey, right, I, I'm just I'm blown away by the lack of storyboarding in Christian film. Uh, not, not that people don't, but I, the ones I've, the people I've talked to, they don't storyboard. They yeah. start with a script and then they make that script. And they, they kind of, you know, there's a reliance on the director of photographer, director of photography to, hey, point the camera in the right direction and stuff. Yeah. It's clear that there's purpose behind what the Irwins are doing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I look at, I, I look at, um, yeah, another place you'll find this type of lack of purpose is in like TV. Um, I, oftentimes like the, <laughs> Carmen and I tried, my, my wife Carmen, we tried to watch that Crisis on Infinite Earths mm. of um, uh, that, that, that superhero crossover event. On sure. Sure whatever channel uh the the arrow is on and th- this same issue existed there where there were just cuts because maybe they filmed it once and they didn't have the take the way they wanted right. it and it there's no intention or kind of vi- vision of why the camera's zooming in or why the camera's panning it's just we're we're the camera's we just got two cameras circling the characters. So in editing, we can just cut it wherever all the time. And, um, and that 
is noticeable even if you don't notice it. Like you feel yeah. it. Uh, these these quick cuts or like, well, that edit was made because that's where they messed up their line and they yeah. cut to a different shot. Um, and and that's just editing. Um, not beyond that, like, okay, this is why we're cutting to a close up and and a uh, and a wide shot, but like the lack of preparation for we are going to do this type of shot in order to emphasize the emotion of the scene um, is very lacking in Christian movies. And yeah, and it's I think that, that <laughs> I think it's often sometimes it feels like it's lacking in these movies as well. Um, in the Irwin Brothers movies, in the sense that I feel like there are moments where it's a cool shot, but mm-hmm. not a relevant shot. Yeah, that is definitely something that you run across. I think any time, uh, whether it be a filmmaker or a, a genre that is still kind of coming into its own, like a person needs to arrive at the idea of an artistic choice being organic. Uh, it, it's something that you run across in film school. It's like, we can do this, so we will. It's like, okay, that's all well and good, but, but why? Aside from it looking cool, which sometimes can be enough if it's the right kind of movie, um, but this is not that. Um, and, uh, at, at the international Christian film festival this year, albeit uh, online, um, the, uh, the talk that I gave was uh, 10 movies that every Christian filmmaker should see. And one of the reasons that I picked the ones that I did is because, uh, not all of them are, are story based, um, regardless of, even though the fact that the vast majority of movies are narratively driven, um, film is not, is not, uh, only that. And so uh, there's room for experimentation, whether it be in editing and music and cinematography, whatever it is. And uh, Christian film in general has not gotten to that yet. Uh, It is still first and foremost a a story driven uh, medium. And so I think with something like I still believe, obviously it is story driven. There was one moment, which uh, again, I'll talk about in a moment um, that uh, that I thought, oh, they could they could actually go a little bit, for lack of a better term, experimental or at least abstract with this. Mm. And they don't, Mm. uh, which doesn't surprise me. But, yeah, I think it's a good looking movie, but the the camera is still. The camera work, pardon me, the camera work is still largely functional. Right. It's just really, it's just really competent. It's very good at doing that. And frankly, that's more so that that's more than most uh, Christian yeah, films. Yeah, it's a step in the right direction. It's just the, the competence kind of uh, sometimes I feel with the Irwins, not to poke at them too much, but I feel like it tricks people who are, who, who are Christians or who really support these movies into thinking that it's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, and... <laughs> And I don't know that it necessarily, um, I don't know, it, it, it feels like filters, you know, like, oh, we mm. got this filter and it makes it really look like a real movie. Sure, sure. Um, and and I, I just, I think that that's good. Like, I, I like the technical competency, but I also really like quality storytelling. Yeah, it's the next step. Like you said, it, this is a step in the right direction. You take one or two more steps and now you're, it's like, okay, now the camera's a, a genuine organic extension of the filmmakers and what they're trying to do uh, as opposed to focusing only on what they are able to do. Um, yeah, because I do think that these, this movie in particular, and, and I can only imagine, are very, they're very glossy mm-hmm. films, uh, both in its look. Like a movie about, a, a story of somebody dying like this, I would expect to 
not be filmed the way that this movie is filmed. Yeah, I do think it's, uh, what was it? Oh, that's right. Uh, I was watching, I believe the documentary is called like Exporting Raymond or something like that. And it's about, did you see it? Yeah. It's very interesting. 10 years ago. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating. Yeah. To the guy who who produced Everything Loves Raymond. Phil something, I don't remember his last name. But he, he goes to Russia to help them produce a Russian version of Everybody Loves Raymond. And one of the things that he finds is that Russian television, it's just a different, it's, it's a different filmmaking and television culture. And so the idea of having a family that just looks perfectly fine uh, and they just, you know, they have a nice house and that's it. Uh, it's like, no, 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 these are, these are stars and so they need to dress. They need to de- be dressed to the nines. They need to be really well made up, uh, and the reactions are going to be big and all that. And then Phil says, like, "Yes, but the whole nature of this show is it's supposed to be just about like a regular family, right?" And and so, but but the the this is not to say that the Russian way of approaching things is wrong, but. I definitely, I sometimes feel like Phil and the Christian film world feels like Russia in this instance where it's like, well, no, it's a, it's a movie and we have the budget. So it needs to look great. It's like, yes, but does the story that you're telling uh, allow that? Does that require that? You know, if you're like, uh, one of my favorite movies is uh, Bugsy uh, made by Barry Levinson in 1991. And it is, it's not merely about Bugsy Siegel, but it is also about the, gl- the glitz and glamour of being a gangster at this time and somebody like Bugsy Siegel, who is just as much interested in show business as he was gangsterism. And he helped create Las, uh, Las Vegas. So the way it's shot, it's extremely stylistic. It's extremely visually romanticized because that is the way Bugsy looks at the world. Great. Perfect. Like it's not meant to be good fellas. It's not even meant to be the Godfather. It's meant to be a different type of gangster movie reflecting how he looks at the world. And so I do feel like that is, that is what like filmmaking, if, if you are going to make a story driven film, then everything needs to be an extension uh, of the, or a realization of that story, including the camera work. And I agree with you. Uh, this does look very good. And then the next step is, okay, now what? Right. We, it, first off, it's these tools. Yes. Uh, in your tool belt. Great. Now start being creative with them. Yeah. And, and figure out which ones you don't really have to use. You don't have to always use your crane. You don't yeah. always have to use Boy. your, your uh, track tracking shot or whatever like you can but but how do we and I, I maybe that's how my mind works you know you were talking about technology and that's what i try anytime i get like a new plug-in or something like i, I there is that temptation to just use it just use sure because you got it and oh man i'm gonna throw this on everything yeah. and uh, and i do do that in my uh videos because that's sometimes the nature of yeah. of youtube but more ironically I do that, you know, um, but sometimes I, I, sometimes you're like, well, I've kind of overused that, you know, it's like auto tune, you know, Sure. it's like, yeah, actually there's a time and a place for it. And uh, that's not to say that this movie doesn't look great or that it isn't doing those sorts of things. But I I think that, I think that it is going to be interesting if Christian movies start being more stylistic. Yeah, if they're willing to, because it's 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 possible to have a movie that looks—I'll put quotes around—looks ugly while still being beautiful. 
like some of the right. best movies ever made, they find a way to show a gritty reality. Like, but the, the, the setups, the angles, the lighting, it's impeccable, but like it's, it's not, it's sure. It, yeah. Is it, and, and I think that that's, I, I've always felt, you know, you got to know the rules before you break the rules. Sure. If you went to film school or something mm -hmm. like that, correct? Something like that. Yes. You understand the situation where somebody's new and so they do something that's bad mm -hmm. and they argue that that is the style they're going for. Uh, they tilt the camera uh, poorly yeah. or something like, oh, no, 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 I was trying to do that. Or that's the whole point. The problem with that in school oftentimes or when you're first learning is that you haven't proven that you know what you're doing. So you just making a bad, uh, really bloody, uh, <laughs> campy horror movie is yeah. not the style you're necessarily going for because you, you need to make something and prove that you know what you're doing first. And yeah. I do think that the Irwins are kind of at that point where, okay, you've proven that you know what all of these things do and you, you know how to put this together. Now, you know, Steven Spielberg, for example, can break the rules, the, break, yeah. the film school rules, because we all know he knows what he's doing. And when he breaks the rules, there's intentionality behind it. There's a reason he's doing it it's to evoke an, an emotion make you feel uncomfortable yeah with, uh you know with this situation or, or make you feel excited or, or make you like with exporting raymond he had a an instinct that making everybody loves raymond even in a different culture much more downplayed making them much more similar to the everyday person would transcend culture right and it turned out that was true because people suddenly saw themselves on TV, not yeah. done up and, and, you know, he learned things and taught them things. You know, the, the guy who, who went to Russia to, to do all of this, like he, they, they learned stuff. But one of the things was that he felt like, Oh, th I get that this is what typically is done, but stylistically, I think it's going to work if we make, make people not so, uh, you know, and everybody there in Russia is like, no, 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 that's not how we do it. We're, it's not yeah. going to work that way. But it did work because people wanted to see. But it's not like he's like, eh, let's just use whatever. Let's just throw. And I think that that's yeah. the feeling in Christian films is that they've for so long, they're like, yeah, but we've worked so hard to get to where our movies actually look like real movies. We're not going to like go back now. Yeah, I saved up for this plugin for years. Yeah, it's uh, they're they're Homer Simpson with the star wipe. Uh, yes. That's yeah. uh, when I yeah I remember I think that episode uh, was released uh, when I was in college in film school, and just his his instinct that like well star wipe is obviously the best transition, and it's like <laughs> boy I totally get it um, I get yeah. that instinct. Um, so. One thing that I that I will say about the storytelling of I still believe, as I said, I think that I think the the performances are good all around. One thing that I really like, and that frankly I feel like there's just not very much of in most Christian films, is there's not a lot of specificity to the characters, their motivations, and their issues. Like most Christian films, they've got one story, like one story, even if it's something like God's Not Dead, where there are multiple stories, they have one goal, one aim, and anything that could, 
any little idiosyncrasy, any uh, little deviation, mm-hmm. it could be seen as a distraction. Like even one, primarily, or one specific thing would be humor. Oh, sure. That 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 humor takes uh, such a backseat because it's a serious story. Where yeah. to me, when when somebody, some when a filmmaker can uh, effectively implement humor into a serious story it kind of is a sign to me, oh, they, they're in control. They, they know what they're doing. Yeah. And I think it, that, I think, uh, sorry, I know I interrupted you on that, but that's something that this movie does. Just an example of that type of thing. Yeah, like when is the last time, like in, in your life or anybody's life, where even, even on a bad, even when you're having a bad day or, or if you're in a bad season, like you're still able to laugh and you're still able to make jokes with the people that you love, even if it's clearly just a coping mechanism. Like, so having levity in your film or in your life is very important Yeah, uh, for me when humor is a defense mechanism for me, it's really important. Like that's usually how I, I get through things. Yeah, I mean, certainly I've had <laughs> I've had Christians say like, "How on earth can you joke about that?" Uh, and, and but it could be stuff like in my own life. Like I remember one time I was making a joke about my dead father, and uh, that's hilarious. And they and like some friends, friends that knew me laughed. Yeah, and then other friends were like, "It's like how on earth can you make that joke?" And I said. Well, it's like, well, first off, it's my joke to make because my dad, um, but also, and I said like, well, it's not as though I find this funny in a larger sense. Uh, I would trade all my jokes about it to have him back. But at the same time, uh, it's been a number of years and this is a really cheesy way of putting it, but this is how I put it. It's like, sometimes you just run out of tears, but you still want something. You still want to acknowledge this in some way and making a joke uh, is not a way it doesn't it doesn't uh, show disrespect it's a way of remembering without all of the baggage and it's a way of making uh, of coping with that baggage and sure. and so I feel like this this film and I think the companion film incorporates a fair amount of of humor this one maybe not in the midst of the grief um, but leading up to that mm-hmm. uh, but the thing that really struck me that I liked because the film is it's not really a grief film until the last 30 minutes. It's a romance for a good portion of it. And I think they have a a nice chemistry, KJ Apa and Britt Robertson. But what I really like is that the character of Melissa is not like, she's kind of gotten herself into a weird position where there is a guy that really likes her and she's kind of been stringing. Yeah. (laughs) And she's kind of been stringing him along. Right. With, because she just doesn't want to hurt his feelings. And then she sort of has been streaming, stringing Jeremy along. So now she has these two guys that like her. And you, the viewer, are frustrated with her. That she doesn't, that she won't just do, like, make a hard decision and have a hard conversation. And I like that for, for just at least a few minutes, the, the filmmakers are allowing you to be frustrated with a character you're supposed to like. I think the vast majority of Christian films, uh, they're like, well, this is our lead. And so you're supposed to like them and be on board with them. It's not that they're necessarily flawless, but the kind of flaws they have are tend to be kind of a noble flaw. Um, whereas here, this is the kind of character. 
Yeah, honestly, yes. It's why I like her. I think her character is better than his because her flaws yeah, are the kind of awkward. More interesting. Yeah. Her, her flaw is like the In kind fact, of awkward college flaw that people yeah. have and are embarrassed by later. <laughs> I remember I wrote down, I wish this movie had been told from her perspective. Sure. And what's interesting is they, she, her, her journals are a book now that you can buy. Hmm. And because they they kind of emphasize in the movie that she writes in her journal every night. Yeah, and, and she doesn't uh, let anybody read it. And but now everyone can read it. Yeah, it seems like, like a that'll betrayal. Be I review <laughs> where I'm like, Jeremy, one thing: don't ever publish this for everyone to read. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it. I guess. I mean, I see what you're saying. I agree that there is at least some character in her character. And there are times, though, that I feel that the, that the movie doesn't know what it's doing, and I'm, we're putting that into it. I, I'll sure. say there is a moment, a funny moment, to me at least, where Jeremy's singing a, a song to Jesus. And right. It's obvious, and the movie acknowledges that he's not singing the movie to Jesus. It's right. a South Park situation where he's like, "It's like I love yeah. you, I love you." Or uh, the other song was like, "I wanna," like it's, it's not just love. It's like, I want you to use me or something like that. <laughs> and yeah. she's like getting all like, "Oh, that's you know," she's getting excited about it. Yeah. And yeah, that scene's super hot. Is that the point you're making? Yeah, I love that scene. You know, it's weird. And I think it's weird, but funny, because it's like, oh, that's funny. They're acknowledging that sometimes these Christian songs just sound like love songs with the, the name changed. Sure. But it doesn't, like, the whole movie is glorifying that type of music. It's not criticizing. Like, that, that's not a criticism in the movie. It's yeah. just like, yeah. I mean, there's even, like... When uh, Jean-Luc says, I write love songs to God or something earlier on, like that's a theme in the movie. And I don't, not that I have to agree with it, but I just think that that's weird that this movie is actually celebrating, hey, love songs and songs to God can be conflated. And that we're, that, isn't that great? Do you think that their little tip of the hat to that is sort of their way of inoculating themselves from criticism that like this type of music is as is as is so generic that it can that the same lyrics could be applied towards a girl you like in college or uh -huh. the creator of the universe and by hanging a, a lantern on it for one yeah. scene they're saying like no see we get it which means it's okay for us to absolutely do that i think so yeah, it's like the Muppets uh, song at the beginning of Muppets, the the, the most recent one, the sequel. Mm -hmm. They're like, sequels aren't, this whole song, sure. the sequels aren't as good. That's what I guess this is doing. Because I laughed and then I'm like, wait, but like he has DC talk posters on his wall and the whole movie is celebrating how awesome Jeremy Camp is and all of his songs. And John Luke is, is so amazing in, in writing all these, these songs. And there's no like, there's no criticism of any of that, which is fine. I'm not asking for criticism, but it's weird that then they acknowledge that. Yeah, it's like, okay, now you can't criticize that this whole movie is a celebration of a thing that, that is a little weird and awkward. Well, and I will... I think the, those types of scenes, that type of, like, 
that type of thing keeps happening where it's like I don't know if they're actually doing that on purpose or like I it feels like self-awareness but then it's so unself-aware that I'm like maybe they just think that that's fine yeah I, I will use this to get us into uh, the next section which is uh, okay here's the deal uh, listeners who went back and heard my episode about I Can Only Imagine know that I am not really a fan of Christian music, uh, especially uh, the type that you find in these types of uh, movies. And uh, and I, I don't necessarily begrudge other people liking it. Frankly, I have no idea why I like the kind of music I like. Uh, I feel like, yes, I could probably intellectualize it, but when it comes right down to it, it hit my ear a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think a person can probably train themselves to like something, especially if it's something that they intellectually know it could be encouraging or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, when, when Bart Millard, this is a mean thing when he, when he said like, yeah, I wrote, I can only imagine in 20 minutes and other people are like, can you believe that? My answer is usually, yes, yeah. I can. 100%. Sounds about right. It repeats yeah. the same line over and over again. And so, uh, right. Well, those are the types of things where I'm like, this movie is acknowledging something that I would consider to be a criticism. Like yeah. writing it in 20 minutes yeah, that's what everybody would accuse you of. I remember seeing an interview <laughs> with Big Tent Revival, which is another Christian, and they wrote that song, What Would Jesus Do? Hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't a, think I know it. In very much the same way. And it's just such a simplistic song, and the lyrics actually, if you listen, don't make any sense. Like no. It's just like, um, wh- I hear people say Jesus is the way. Like it, It's just like something that you would make up in a comedy sketch. Yeah. And and yet the while the movie is aware that it took no time to write it it's an entire movie worshiping that one song. Yeah, and no, and no, tr- you did not write the song in 20 minutes. It took <laughs> five time to write this song. Yeah. Amy Grant playing the the same character as Amy Grant plays in another movie called Ragamuffin. Oh, which I didn't see, uh, and I've heard is okay. Yeah, it's 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 all right. Especially, it's just weird. Does Amy Grant just sit in studios with people who write songs for her and give them friendly advice? I guess so. I would assume so. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, and she's not yeah, cheating it's... on her husband. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess they. I guess we got to downplay that. Um, it's yeah. It's. So I don't mean to, I don't mean to necessarily uh, fault the film for this, but I do think that, you know, when when you have a, a movie that is named after, admittedly named after uh, the book as well, but uh, sort of like, oh well, what led up to this amazing song? I still believe it's tough because it sort of in its own way either believes or at the very least requires the viewer to be on board with the if not the sentiment of the song, which I think I am, then the song itself as a work of art. And I have, and even though, you know, any work of art is itself, you know, it is a work of art. I'm not going to say it's not. I just don't think it's very effective for me because it's just not my kind of music. And I do think that the sentiments in it, even if I agree with them are fairly simplistically stated. And so I feel like 
it's tough for me uh, to be 100% on board with this movie. Similarly, and I've said this before, uh, I think I might've said it in our, uh, I can only imagine review, which is a couple years old now. So I'm fine to restate it. When you see Mr. Holland's opus, which I think is a movie that is perfectly fine with a really great performance. Mm -hmm. um, You know, it's about this guy who is a composer, but he, he's a teacher just to like make ends meet. And before you know it, that's his entire life. Um, and then his students at the end of the film play this thing that he's been working on and you right. hear it and it's perfectly fine. But your whole, but my first thought is like, Oh, well, it's a good thing. You had this teaching thing going on because this is not great, you know? And so when they're oh, going didn't to think that it was a very good song, you didn't like his, his opus. It was whatever, <laughs> but no, see the true opus is his, is his life. Uh, yeah it took him his whole it truly took him his whole life to compose it um yeah. but yeah but and so that movie knew how to have some levity with the spit valve uh, oh absolutely absolutely you know, there was- i don't mean to say the movie I, I actually do like the movie it's just one of those things like a movie like that thing you do that's a great song yes that's very catchy Written and it by- and it and it, the uh, r.i.p uh adam schlesinger yeah yeah um weird right it is, it is uh, quite tragic. Um, I mean, but that's it's a, weird that's, that he wrote that song. It's not, I, it doesn't feel like, because I discovered sort of who he was after seeing the movie, it's like, oh, no, I get it. I see it. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. I can definitely see the seeds of, like, this sure. sort of 1950s thing, and certainly in the vocals, because I think he but performs it as well. I, I brought that movie up a while back uh, over something, but it, I think it was that the, that movie is based on something that was so generic that it was yeah. relatable to everybody that they were able to take a, something that happened to so many people and 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 make something completely relatable with it but you're right yeah. that song totally feels like the type of song that that would happen it's yeah. believable the whole time you're right like this is a that's a movie about a one-hit wonder literally called the wonders. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, so that one hit better be good. Otherwise right. we're not going to believe what the movie is doing. Meanwhile, an actual hit, like I still believe I have a hard time getting on board with and the whole yes. movie's leading up to it. Right. And, and this I think is my major issue. I would say with the film that is kind of hard to explain, I guess, but it does not feel like it's all leading up to it. Uh, I, I agree with you 100%. Because Jeremy Camp is not... Because they f- decided to focus on Jeremy Camp, you expect that he is going to have some sort of character growth. And honestly, I feel he doesn't. Um, but maybe, I actually, before I say all that, I wanted to know how you felt about uh, that, now that I've poisoned the well a little bit. Um, because I, I've thought about this movie a lot for about a a year probably at this mm-hmm. point and um and i have a lot of thoughts and opinions and and i i think i've pinpointed some specific things that that i have an issue with with the story but it would be nice to hear something fresh okay well i think you and i are going to be on the same uh, page with this one because my because i've been thinking about the movie for about uh, a week uh since i saw it mm-hmm. and my thing is this it is very rare for me to want a christian movie to be longer extremely rare because they're usually plenty long and I want them to be notably shorter here though you have 
a romance, which I think is very important so that when things take a turn, you feel invested in that. Yeah. So I think the romance is important. I think the illness is important. Mm-hmm. Then you have a, uh, something I didn't know, which is that like the illness miraculously goes away uh, only to return and then claim this, this woman's life. Now, if that's me, my first response is, why is God jerking me around? Mm-hmm. Like, why did he give me a false hope only to allow this again and, and in a more complete way? Why would he do that? It wouldn't necessarily cause uh, a doubt in my mind about God's existence, but it would cause doubt for me in his uh, goodness. Uh, and the idea of him being like almost, almost sadistic. Yeah, at least in his uh, dedication to my interest. Ex- yes, exactly. And so maybe he's not worth giving all this praise and worship to. Exactly. He's just doing this. Yeah, that's that. And I want twenty. I want twenty minutes. Yeah, I want twenty minutes of fury. I but want twenty the minutes at the mirror. He's, yeah, he was. He had his moment of doubt lasted about a minute and a half. Right in one scene. Yes, and to but me, it's like if you're going. To, that's how long it lasted in his real life. That's pro- that's entirely possible. But that's the thing is, if you're going to be ostensibly building to this song called "I Still Believe," still being the operative word here. Right. Yeah. If you're going to be building yes. to that. Oh, are you okay? Yes. <laughs> if you're going to be building to that, then the still is very important, suggesting that there was a moment when you did There was a didn't. moment at some point where he didn't believe. Yeah. He at least was teetering. Yeah. And, and here... That would be more than just a trip upstairs. Yeah. It truly was a moment. And to me, it's like... The, the movie is, is, is just shy of two hours long, or maybe j- it's right around two hours. I, I would have accepted two hours and 15 minutes if it was 15 more minutes of existing in a place where he, I would say somewhat understandably, is f- furious at God because I have devoted my life to singing your praises mm-hmm. and singing about your goodness and it would appear that that got me six months worth of a miracle. And then eventually the inevitable would happen. Why would you do this to me? Yeah. Uh, I don't, it's like, like I, it's, I appreciate any move, any Christian film that acknowledges the concept of complexity. Why do bad things happen to good people? Mm-hmm. The movie breakthrough, which I don't love, but it has the audacity to say, I don't know, like, right. as opposed to simply saying like, well, it's part of a rich tapestry, which yes, I agree with. But at the same time, we don't know why him and not me, why me and not him. We don't know that. And I, I appreciate any film that is willing to acknowledge that things don't always go our way. But to me, if, if you're going to name your movie this, it's a, if it's ostensibly about this song, you need to earn that. And I don't right. think this movie does nice good well to me i would agree with all of that though i also think that there is uh 
it doesn't, it, well, I guess in what you say about earning it, it doesn't bring you to a place where you would expect Jeremy to be, to do anything different than what he does. Sure. Uh, or sometimes he, it feels like it's, he's just kind of playing the, by the numbers. Um, two things that really stick out to me. One, Jeremy is perfect from the moment we see him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he gives his little uh, mentally handicapped brother his one cell phone in 1999 when <laughs> cell phones were very expensive. Yeah. And just so that he could stay in touch with them and make a Star Trek joke and stuff. And wow, he's so great. And then he, his dad tries to give him his guitar. His father tries to give Jeremy his father's guitar and he no. rejects it. And he, then he's rewarded for that by getting a brand new yeah. guitar. And He's just great. Jeremy yeah. is just the greatest guy ever. And he's uh, uh, handsome. He's a handsome. good-looking guy. He's everything yeah. you want. And then why are we watching this? Like, what's the point? So yeah. to me, I'm like, that's frustrating because what's, what's his growth? What's his character growth? The th- and, and people may argue, well, no, that is the type of guy he is. He is a good-looking, handsome, uh, attractive Wait, uh, I should say something about his personality so people don't. <laughs> right. Uh, no, but he is all those things. I think that nobody is all of those things. Exactly. And if you dig deep enough, you'll find something. And in a movie like this, it's very crucial that the girl that you're falling in love with be have an impact beyond just dying sure. on the main character's life. So this could go multiple ways it could be that jeremy camp has a bunch you know he's very like he's so nice but he's got the surface level faith yeah and and then reality hits and it's uh you know it's her who is the reason you know speaks into his life and i think they try to do that but they spend so much time with quirky small talk her not finishing her sentences with uh am i are we this yeah not a date and that it, it that feels like um the 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 500 days of summer type conversation sure that they don't go deep until she talks about how about stars which a dude not knowing what like a star is i don't get it what what Every guy likes space. I imagine he's probably just humoring her, but, you know. And, uh, and so there's never a point where she has an impact on his life to the memory of the audience beyond dying. And I think that that's, it's really important for her life to be important to him. Another direction that I think would have worked would be if they had him be... They had him have a level of doubt before she dies. Like he uh, thinks he'll never get signed as an artist. And she could say to him something like, Jeremy, you sing all these songs about faith and and how much you love God, but yet you don't have faith that he gave you these talents and that he's going to let you use it. And so then that word that she speaks to him, that kind of gives him the motivation to become a rock star in the Christian world he holds on to while she's dying and it and he loses you know he loses that and so you're holding on to it with them like but this is what 
not only God gave him this faith, but she gave him this faith, and yet God lets him down leading up to the struggle. So when she dies, it's sad on a human level that, okay, it's sad that a human died. It's sad mm-hmm. that this happened to somebody. It's sad because the music's telling me and the, the cinematography's telling me to be sad. But I really don't feel it on a level to where I feel that we as an audience fell in love with this character and she had such an impact because she, this, to me, this could have been anyone, like any girl. Yeah. He, he knows her for a semester and that's when she he they like they're about to break up and he's a like this is another situation sorry i i know i'm going all over the place but like this is another situation where i feel like the movie is not aware of a place where they could have shown flaws because the things that jeremy does to get her are things that if i did or maybe even if you did uh we'd be told to leave leave me alone like by the girl maybe yeah. like, uh, leave me alone and i might have to get a restraining order on you like he's very uh creepy if he wasn't such a good looking guy in my opinion well here's you know you and i are uh, immediately going we are now going I mean, into like you're not as attractive as as the as jeremy Appa. look i'm working on it you know, yeah, know, I've been I've been working out. I've been laying in my backyard getting tan. I've been wearing shorts. You got to sit on a uh, you got to sit on a college campus and play the guitar. That's another thing. You mean well, I camp, doing that is what douchebags did in college, and they have him doing that. But there's yeah. no self awareness that Jeremy Camp is the douchebag playing his songs on the bus on his way to college. I know they didn't ask to listen. Oh, that, that bothered me so what much. An idiot. <laughs> so like, the, the movie doesn't understand that there is a lot of areas of like that this character could be a better person and that we could watch him grow, but they don't, it feels like the filmmakers love this character, this, this guy yeah. so much that they never portray the bad things that he does as bad. Well, they're doing it with the, they're doing it with his full cooperation. And if they make him look, here's, okay, so we've put our, our script consultant hats on, which is one of my favorite hat, uh, hats to wear. Sure. Because yeah. here's, here's what I think we could, I say we, the film's been made. We have nothing to do with it. But here's Maybe what they could have done. To make a new film. Then. Sure, exactly. Yeah. They the just re- they, to be told. Yeah, they reboot, I still believe, in a few years. <laughs> um, so. Yes, I feel like the character doesn't have much of an arc. Imagine if they did this. Imagine if the I can film. Only imagine. Well, that is truly all we can do at this point because the film has in, been made. In the movie, I yeah. still still believe. Uh, imagine if if, and they could suggest. Certainly, they would. Su- they could suggest it, and then maybe even have the Melissa character si- tell him that, like, he just feel like his faith is rooted in things having gone well for him. Mm-hmm. He is a good looking guy. He is talented. He has a loving family. Yes. His brother is, is disabled, but uh, he still has a loving relationship with him. And this idea that like, and maybe they could even use this, this little love triangle with Jean-Luc and that, and Jeremy starts to feel like, well, no, I'm sort of for lack of a better term entitled. He wouldn't say it, but he feels entitled to her because don't you realize how much I you love don't have you? To say it, you can show it. You can show it. Like Which they I love the movie, but they didn't know they were showing. Ex- exactly. Like I love you. And thus 
why aren't you doing what I want? And wouldn't that be an interesting parallel between I love God, why doesn't he do what I want? And wow. this I, this idea of like, That's you know, great. this idea, which I think frankly is something you and I would, I, would, I think would agree on like this very American ch- church idea that things, we have this faith partially because things are going so well. Yes. And, but first when the ch- faith, Kind of. And I, that's not a thing I like to say very often, but like, but when the chips are down, do you still believe, which is the sequel to do you believe? Obviously, like, I feel like there are so many, even just in, in the the stuff that's already there, there are the seeds to create a really nice arc for him. Yeah. And you could agree. And she could challenge him. And maybe that's one of the things, you know, one of the reasons that I fell in love with my wife is because she was unpredictable and she pushed back on things. Right. And I, and I appreciated that level of honesty. And that to me would have been, I wish that she was a character that did that, that put Jeremy in his place and stood up to him. And I, I'm not, maybe the main actress, I mean, the main, the real, real Melissa Real life Melissa Camp wasn't like that. Sure. But everyone's like that. Like, how did you get into a relationship without having some sort of disagreement? And there's a moment where there is a disagreement where he he accepts Jean-Luc's leather jacket. Yeah. There's the weirdest, creepiest love triangle in this. Uh, Not the weirdest, creepiest, but there is an uncomfortable love triangle. Uh, and which I, which is why I like it because it's uncomfortable and I feel like Christian movies right. usually are I feel like Christian movies are usually not that willing to go into that type of very human discomfort. But I don't think it was intentional. Yeah, that's true. That's possible. Like what you're talking about is uncomfortable for us because we recognize that in a good movie this is the type of thing you would put in there to do this to your audience. But I don't think that's what the intention was. I think it was just, we don't have any conflict here. And this Jean-Luc guy was a part of Jeremy's life. And even that, like, am I supposed to like him? I don't know. Yeah. Because they make him out to be this uh, guy who just can't take a hint. Even though Jeremy's the one who can't take a hint, who pulls out the God card, who's like, I mean, we don't want to miss out on the opportunity to get the blessings that God has for us by dating. Like yeah, that's that, how he ultimately convinces this yeah. girl who said no several times yeah. to date him. Is he literally used the word? Out. He used the word destiny, and I remember being like, "Wait, is this working? This actually is working." It only works for a guy who looks like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Genuinely, like if he didn't look like that, this is terrible, and it's bad. Like, the, no one man should have all that power. To be honest with you, uh, that's a lot of power to put to have. Uh, uh, to a girl who, for one, apparently is already dating a guy. Like, there's yeah. already a... I feel like the only reason she said it was complicated with, uh, with Jean-Luc is because he, Jean-Luc wasn't right there in front of her. But that's yeah. just speculation on my part. It, there's an argument about him taking Jean-Luc's jacket, which he loves Jean-Luc so much because he looks up to the cry the band that I've, I even I have never heard of. I had not heard of them, no. And that argument is interrupted by a visit from the parents and the family. Yeah. And then after that, where nothing happens in this, they eat chicken nuggets at the cafeteria. 
go back to that argument again. And I yeah. don't understand why they didn't cut. They're wearing the same clothes even. Why, other than needing to have Shania Twain and Gary Sinise in the movie more. Sure. It makes no sense for that to happen. I mean, I like the idea. I like the idea that his family is saying like, oh, we've heard so much about you. Meanwhile, maybe she's not even totally on board with with this relationship, only to discover as a function of his family that like, oh, wow, he's been telling his parents about me and I'm not even fully committed to this. Like there's a way to to use that. And I just don't think the film does it well. It's weird to interrupt a an argument with them in order to do that and then go back to the argument. I think that, sure, I, I think that that's a, a legitimate... That's a legitimate feeling to put in the minds of the viewer. Sure. I don't know that it was the... There's so many other aspects that could have... Like, that would be secondary to me. Like, you know, yes, this is interesting... That's an interesting thing to communicate to the audience, but I don't, there's so much other stuff that isn't communicated to the audience that I feel um, is more necessary to the feeling that they get when he says that he still believes, when he comes to the realization when we're like, oh, good. You know, it, it speaks to this uh, this larger issue with Christian film, and maybe I, maybe I don't cut it enough slack, but I really try to. Um, my... My wife and I were watching, or rather re-watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood last night, which has a great, a really great script and one that many could see in, in some ways as pointless. Like it, it meanders a little bit. It dwells on certain scenes that could be seen as, as unimportant. Um, and it's very contingent on the audience being aware of external cultural... Uh, yes, it is. Yeah. Which um, I believe is also that way, but in a much more niche audience. Yeah. And yeah, I certainly, uh, I wouldn't compare the films that much, except that you feel, it goes back to what you're talking about with learning, you know, learning something so that you can forget it or at least break the rules. Mm -hmm. And when I'm watching most Christian films, if something comes along that would appear to sort of break the rules in a way that I, that I like, and maybe this is just my own bias or just feeling like they haven't proved themselves to me yet. It's one of those things that's like, well, that's probably not on purpose. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't feel like I'm in good enough hands that when they broke the rules, they knew that's what they were doing and they're doing it with a purpose. And you know, there is a moment in this film where I was, where they're at the planetarium, they're looking at the stars, and she is starting to, to say this stuff about the God of the universe. And maybe it's the Terrence Malick fan in me that I was really hoping that the film would deviate slightly from the rule book of the type of film it is, and actually, like the camera zoom zooms into the galaxy and then just stays there zooming past planets and past stars showing the 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 bigness and the vastness of the universe as her voiceover is over it contextualizing what we're seeing and about the bigness of god and then only after that maybe we fade into her face as she is talking about 
the God who created all this still cares about me. Thus showing like the, the va- again, the vastness of God and yet the personal aspect of God. And I thought like, man, if they had done that, I would have been so excited because that's them breaking the rules for a very specific reason. But they didn't. They, they showed the, the ceiling where the stars are happening, but then we zoom in on her face because, well, this is about characters. And- staring at her. <laughs> sure. Uh, this is about these two characters and their relationship. And we don't want to deviate from that stylistically. But to me, it's like, yes, but it's, this is a film that's actually bigger than that. And in that moment, if you were to do that, if you were to break that rule, you would be doing more to put us inside her mindset than to simply focus on her face as she's saying all this. Which is interesting. Cause I don't know. I've, I've, talked positively about this movie way more than I ever intended to, but okay. uh, in the movie God, not this movie, I'm talking okay. about the movie I'm about to mention. Sure. The movie God's Not Dead 3. Right, which I never saw. Thing that you just mentioned mm-hmm. uh, where it's, it's to show the emptiness of the, here, David A.R. White's character is a pastor and he's doubting his faith and he's in this moment of like, I don't even know if God is real. And, it, and he's in the burnt down church, his old burnt down church. And it kind of, you, it turns into the galaxy and, and, mm. stars and stuff. And it's done so artfully to show like this vast emptiness that he's feeling. Yeah. Normally I would not expect a God's Not Dead movie to have sure. some sort of green screen-esque moment and it actually work. But it, it's good. And what's interesting is that God's Not Dead 3 is written and directed secretly of course by one of the writers of this movie which doesn't surprise me because the stuff that he's done before even if i don't necessarily like it that much it is the stuff that gives me more reason to be optimistic mm-hmm. uh like i see his name associated with a lot of stuff that i'm like oh that, that mm-hmm. wasn't terrible yeah, like case for christ he also yeah uh, directed that and it's it's so interesting to see movies that are are contemplating yeah. ideas. Now, this movie, though, unfortunately, I feel pulls back and it it like almost contemplates big ideas. Yeah, and then doesn't. And I I almost feel like that's kind of Irwin and and kind of Kendrick influence on because the Irwins were you know worked with the Kendricks for years and they're they're real close and I think that's great. But I do think that that it's this kind of like simplistic uh christianity that isn't isn't interested in in asking really deep questions for very long at least and 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 maybe i compare this movie a lot to a walk to remember because it's a it's a very similar Hmm. story i don't know if you saw i did not that's is that nicholas sparks yes okay uh which is not a real story it's it's a fake story but that because that movie starts it starts with he's a bad boy and it's from mandy moore's character's perspective sure the boy is a bad boy but he needs help studying so he picks the nerdy girl who's wearing glasses and is is mandy moore but she's goofy looking apparently we're supposed to believe and you know it's that uh the 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 the, she's all that type story Mm -hmm. and but in that movie it shows his he's this one you know he's jumping off bridges and spray painting and and and, uh graffiti and stuff and but he realizes the importance like there's more to life than than being reckless like that Mm -hmm. and 
she gives him purpose and she has her life figured out. And when you find out that she is going to die of cancer, it hits you really hard. And then you have this moment where he goes to his estranged father to find out if he can uh, if he can borrow money. So he like they establish that he doesn't talk to his dad, and so he breaks that barrier of of that he would never talk to his dad. But this girl is what changed his mind and made him a better person and made him selfless. And he would talk to his father to see if he they can get the surgery done or something. And it's such a better telling of this story. Yeah, I think because Mandy Moore doesn't back down she's a she's a strong confident woman in a very genuine believable way speaking into the life of this guy but she she's patient and gracious and you know there's this famous part where when she agrees to study with them she says but you have to promise not to fall in love with me and it's it sounds cheesy and it is a little cheesy but he laughs at her because that's stupid like why would Mm -hmm. he ever do that and then you go on a journey and it's very believable that they fall in love and then she dies and that rips you apart and i just did not get that feeling with this and it could be that sure maybe jeremy camp's just such a perfect person but (laughs) honestly i feel like it's that there's rose colored glasses on the the writers and makers of this movie towards this character towards this person that they while i saw negative aspects to his character and places where they could have established uh, the impact that this girl would have had. I think ultimately because the impact uh, that she had on him is simply that she died. Yeah. Um, And that's emphasized at the end when they put the text on the screen that shows how many albums he sold, how many (laughs) people came to his concerts. Yeah. That's the ultimate purpose for her dying was that he could sell albums. It left a very uh, tasteless taste in my mouth. Yeah, I feel like that stuff there at the end. Um, I feel like by and large, so many so many Christian films, especially like studio Christian films, are are you know these based on a true story situations, and it feels like and they are trying so hard to convince you or to really. Uh, they're trying so hard to impact you with the realness of this story. And so by, at the end of this, we see the real Jeremy camp and we hear it's like, no, it's a, it's a movie. Just let it be a movie. Yes. It's based on a true story. We all know how movies work. And I think there in that, even as I say it, I realize like, uh, maybe not, maybe, uh, the, <laughs> the audience, maybe the Christian audience and uh, sorry, the audience for a faith-based film, mm-hmm. they're, they're new enough to movies that maybe in an abstract way, maybe they don't know how movies work. And so they do need their hand held a little bit, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, but if you don't hold their hand th- and just allow them the freedom to figure it out themselves, they will. Mm-hmm. Um, as freedom. opposed to, mm-hmm. I know. Yeah. Uh, what if there's a dumb kid in the audience and he sees Jeremy camp, uh, struggling with something yeah then he may not he may give up on jesus and never become a christian it's so. the <laughs> it's the same thing that i say about uh, fireproof where uh where his wife i remember frankly being vaguely uh encouraged that like they at least 
gave a, a, a tip of the hat to the idea of porn being an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but she never says porn. She always says like trash, like trash right. on the internet. And I remember being like, are they scared to use the word porn? Because somebody in the audience might be like, what is this porn they're talking about? I'm going to, I'm going to look up porn and see if anything, if I was going to say, if anything pops up, but that's inappropriate. Um, So uh, I don't usually make erection jokes on this podcast. The film then at that point is being made to the lowest common denominator. What if somebody in the audience doesn't get it? Well, we better make sure. And then it's not, it's, it ends up talking down to people who are smart enough to get it. And it doesn't challenge people who may not be, you know, it's not even intelligence, but just, uh, okay, idiots in the audience, you know. Uh, I, I think that that's why people enjoy watching other movies that aren't Christian movies, because those movies at least, like, challenge them. It's, it's well, their faith. And this movie ends with a, uh, a music video. Yeah, it sure does. Uh, <laughs> like, that's the big, oh, good. Now he still believes. Now we're going to watch the entire song being performed by a guy who doesn't sound like Jeremy Camp, by the way. Right. Uh, Sounds, in my opinion, better. And that's supposed to be our conclusion that, oh, good, it's all worked out. Oh, oh, except the after that. <laughs> I forgot yeah. about the the post-credit sequence where it's not post-credit sequence but post-concert sequence where the uh his new wife yeah goes up which they do not make it very clear that she is also in a band oh yeah no i didn't uh, i didn't get that at all because of that people who play these festivals and stuff together of course they're going to talk yeah. So that would make sense if they had them like in the green room or in the in the band tent and it's like, hey, I don't want to bother you. We're playing in just a minute. Make it so that she needs to get going sure. and play the show or something, even if that's not what really happened. Give her a sense of like urgency and like confidence. Instead, it comes across like she's just a fangirl coming up yeah. and saying, hey, I'm the one that yeah. was impacted yeah. if one life could be changed i'm the one life yeah because they end up getting married yeah because then it looks like she like he's in an elevated position over her like he's the he's the famous uh, musician she's the fan and then and he's also kind of in a place of grief and so uh he marries her because she adores him uh yeah as opposed to like uh, being on equal footing and this right. is this is what i'm talking about like if you add if you were to add 15 minutes just in general um first off i don't think you even need her to be a character i understand why you would because it's like oh i was the person that was impacted and maybe if that's part of the story god forbid you leave it out uh and but it does feel like a distraction know, who knows maybe jeremy camp was super involved in this and and if i guarantee he was if you're making a movie about yourself yeah, and you leave your wife out and instead tell the story of this other girl that you loved, there's that, I don't know, that might make her feel bad. Yeah, probably would. Uh, and but, as you know, movies should only be made so that everyone feels good about them. Yeah. All the time. That's why Walk the Line really emphasized how wonderful his first wife was. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, so I will, uh, the, the companion film, which we'll touch on very briefly, um, is called Moonlight Mile, written and directed by Brad Silberling. 
uh, a fictionalized version of his own story. Okay. He was, uh, many years ago, like I think in the late 80s, early 90s, he was dating uh, a woman who was, I believe, uh, an actress and a model, and she had a stalker, and the stalker uh, eventually killed her and uh, was uh, put in in prison. Yeah. And so Moonlight Mile, uh, by his own admission, was, again, a heavily fictionalized uh, telling uh, or way for him to deal with that. So um, did you you get a chance to see it? I did watch it. I watched it, and I enjoyed it. Um, I can see why it wouldn't be for everyone. Sure. uh, Because it's it's, uh, melodramatic. Yes. And, um, but I like it because it's character driven. And I, I'm a big fan of, of movies with characters. Yeah. You know? And, um, I, yeah. I can see why you thought of this movie when watching I Still Believe because this, and, and why you would prefer a movie that is more focused on the grieving process since this movie is. The whole thing sure. is the grieving process. Well, and you know what? It's it's because I still believe, and again, by since you're calling it that, it is ostensibly about the impact of grief on this guy's or loss on this guy's faith, and then it winds up not being about that at all. And I don't, I wouldn't require the film to be entirely about that. One of the things that I like about Moonlight Mile, aside from the cast, I think the cast is marvelous: Jake Gyllenhaal, Dustin Hoffman, Susan Sarandon, Holly Hunter. You know, some pretty heavy hitters in there. Um, but one thing that I really like about it is that it is. It does not overly, when dealing with grief, it's very easy to romanticize the people that are gone and romanticize the people that are, that are still here because they are now grieving. And what I like about Moonlight Mile. That's something that I criticized with the movie. um, I'm not ashamed about the girl who who died in Columbine. They, the, it's clear that the family and a lot of people have taken her journals and almost uh, canonized them yeah. uh, and made and made them kind of a Bible in and of themselves. And it's obvious that it's it's a lot like she clearly struggled with depression and it's a lot of like teenage angst. But nobody's, again, pointing out the the like they're glorifying that and making it seem like she had some sort of um, like prophetic view yeah. of what was going to happen to her. And uh, <laughs> and I think that that's. Uh, that happens a lot and and whenever a movie is made and they don't um they don't uh, that's something that i like about ragamuffin for example because uh it's about rich mullins who and he ultimately died in a car accident at kind of the peak of his christian rock star career and but the movie does not uh deify him they they show his flaws and they show other people's flaws and it, it it's it's an interesting exploration. And I talked to the director and he really, he wanted that. Like he wanted to focus on just sharing the reality of, of what happened. It's, it's, movie does that. it's something that I, my, my favorite movie is uh, Nashville by Robert Altman. And one thing that I say about it is that I think the, fi- I think that film, and I would say the same about Moonlight Mile really loves its characters, but it loves them too much to lie about them. Um, you know, like it would be very easy if I, if, if, if I lost my wife or you, or you lost yours, 
of course there is a tendency to to not want to speak ill of the of the dead and to think about the things you love about them but over time you probably would get to a point where you recognize yeah they weren't perfect there are times that they frustrated me tremendously Mm. but that's but that's part of who they were, you know, and I do feel like with, I still believe while I do, I think that Britt Robertson does a lot to, to create specificity in the Melissa character. I think you're right. The way the film, the film essentially uses her as, as like motivation for him uh, in, in the long run. And it uses her death. Yeah. As that. Which Not then I, in doing so, trivializing her life, in my opinion. Um, I would have so, loved to see a movie where we got to see what was so great about her. Because I'm yeah. sure she was great. But yeah. I feel we know what was so great about her based on the movie. I think we get little glimpses, but I do think that there's still a lot of idealization going on. And one thing that I like in Moonlight Mile is the, the character of Joe, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, he has the the possi- the the opportunity to to sort of canonize her yeah. deify or whatever you want to say uh romanticize her and he's like ah that's i can't do that i'm not going to act like she's amazing the opportunity and the incentive absolutely yeah um that, and that's the, kind of the main message yeah. there is one of the movie is exactly what you said and i i'm now that you say that it this was the kind of based on uh real life experiences that makes sense because the it's obvious that the movie is the movie itself is a, a grieving process for the yeah. maker because that's it, it's like he had to come to the place where he's like okay it's not the time to lie to myself or to yeah. other people this is the part where i i i actually am honest with the situation and explore yeah. that in order to grieve because if you lie about the person that is gone, you, you, what you're really doing is you're making them an ex- a purely an extension of yourself, mm. which is I loved them and they are now gone. And I, those are the, two, the only two things that matter. And so that love is going to color everything about them and ultimately make them into this perfect being or whatever. Whereas if it's, if you actually do love this person and you do want to do justice to them, then you'll acknowledge they existed before I showed up and they had their own, uh, they had their own beliefs. They had their own actions. They had their own quirks that, uh, that were independent of me. Mm-hmm. And for me to gloss over those because I lost them is to strip them of their own individuality, to strip them of, the, of their own uh, identity and, and essentially identify them solely, as you were saying, solely based on the fact that I loved them and they died. How very sad for me. Yeah. I, I think that there's a, a no- there's another, like I said, there's, there's incentive. Um, I think that both of these movies show kind of the opposite side of that sort of incentive. Uh, I think what you're saying is true, but I also think that um, people want de- people want someone's death to matter, to mean sure. something. And sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes mm-hmm. people just die. Uh, and that, I'm sure that doesn't help anybody me saying that but i don't care uh what's interesting about i still believe and um and the the columbine stuff 
you have a lot of lies being thrown around, mm-hmm. uh, Columbine especially, and when called out on it, people say, but what's, what's the, how does that help anybody? Look at all the people who were affected and impacted and how much better the world is because of this person's death, making them kind of a martyr or making the death before something. Uh, and this movie, and I think that's often motivated by grief. Um, I think it's more than just wanting to make them a part of you, but wanting to make their death a part of somebody else or the, the world being impacted in a more positive way. And I think that sure. I still believe does that very much with what it chooses to use as its description as to what happened later that, okay, yes, she died, but that's justified. Everything's fine because if one person's life is impacted, then it was all worth it. Right. Uh, but if, if one person's life, I mean, they literally say that in the movie, which is mm-hmm. a joke I say about Christian movies when people <laughs> have a Christian movie that flops and they're like, well, but uh, they say that to like their investors. Uh, if, but one person's life was impacted. And then to see a movie like Moonlight Lane, right? Mile. Mile. It's named uh, after a Rolling Stone song. That's right. Um, where he has incentive in a different way. Uh, that that to to get revenge to get uh to to put the guy who did this in jail yeah. by glossing over and not necessarily lying but being doing what I feel was done with I, I with I still believe making kind of a, a deified version mm-hmm. uh, but he chooses not to do it because he knows that then who that person is is gone you know that. Yeah. that you're changing who they were and it's not what they would have done. They weren't, she would not have wanted to be painted as a victim. So I'm not going to paint her as one just for the sake of this thing, even though it could be argued. Yeah. But like, if you don't lie, then this guy's going to go free. Yeah. And then she will never have justice. Yeah. But then um, who is, the, but then who is the she that is getting justice? Yeah. In that regard. Yeah, it's. I love the things inspiration in that in this movie. Yeah, it's. And a, it, another thing that I like. I'm sorry. That's fine. Because I know you you have thoughts about this movie, also. Uh, I'm fine to you know I've I've seen it uh, a few times and I think I've talked about it on the show before. So by all yep. means, go ahead. Um, I was a little nervous with the girl in the movie because I didn't know what mm-hmm. it was about uh, to begin with. I wasn't sure where it was going, and I didn't I didn't really like her. Yeah. Um, I think she talks like a 12 year old. Sure. Uh, and, uh, and she's much older. She's like 12 years older than Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Yeah. And you know how I feel about that. Um, and she talks about pee a lot. I don't know sure. If you that. She says pee at least four times in this movie. <laughs> talk about peeing. Um, but she's, she's not the focus. Right. And it's, I thought it was going to be about their relationship, and it wasn't. It was actually about his previous relationship yeah. and dealing with that grief. And it's amazing that this movie made me care more about a girl that was, was never even in the movie. Yeah. 
then then I, I still believe made me care about the girl in that movie. They characterized her and made her a human, a person, without ever seeing her except for the, the picture that you see of her, which I don't, yeah. I don't think was even needed. Uh, right, yeah. And, the, uh, and it's also amazing, this is a, a, a tangent a bit, but it's amazing that music played a more intentional and pivotal role in this movie than the movie yeah. that's literally named after a song yeah uh, yeah they're both they're both named after songs i'll be a one much much better uh right i, I enjoy the rolling stones but yes it's but no 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 i but this was named after a song i still believe was named was about the song exactly yeah and it's, this movie this music is so important yeah in the movie with the jukebox and and that yeah. is representative but that's all like intentional it's, I think a lot of it, as is often the case with my, my frustrations and objections to Christian film, is that here you have a movie that is based on a true story and is trying to tell that story. Then you have a movie that is sort of a heavily fictionalized version of a true story and the op and the and the openly fictionalized version of a true story and the fictionalized one feels infinitely more honest than the one that is ostensibly based on the true story. And yeah. I think it's because I think Moonlight Mile trusts the audience more and trusts that you're an adult and yeah. you will be able to fill in the blanks and that you will not be, that you will not see these characters as, as overly negative or unsympathetic because the film allows them to be human as opposed to, I still believe where it elevates everybody to, to a, a status of being maybe not necessarily totally flawless, but certainly uh, romanticized. Flawed acceptably flawed yes yeah. um and so yeah there's a there is a lot to like we need to start wrapping up but like there's a lot to like and i still believe there but it, it is a real movie but it's one that still falls victim to the kind of the same issues maybe not quite to the same extent that you'll find in certain kendrick brother movies or or whatever um <clears throat> But they it is. Even, they're not even talking about Jeremy Camp's struggle with porn in. Uh, right, right. I don't know that he has, but I'm just yeah. saying. They don't talk about his struggle with homosexuality yeah. or something. Movie, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, they're not yeah. going to do that because that's yeah. not acceptable. Exactly. And that's. It was. It's an oddly explicit deleted scene, but. Uh... Yeah, that, that was a weird scene in the, uh, in the, the screener that I saw. Like, what is yeah. this in the middle of the movie? With it's like, oh, why? why are you... Exactly. Yeah. It turns into a, you know, Bohemian Rhapsody all of a sudden. Yeah. Um, it was weird. Although I guess that one wasn't very explicit either. Um, but yeah. So, so as far as, you know, would you, I know you'll be doing a review of, I still believe soon. Uh, will you be, do you recommend the movie? I mean, of course, everything's very qualified, but when you're taught in, in your context, you talk specifically about Christian film. So in that context, is this a movie you would recommend to people? Um, I would say if you, if you're, this is same with, uh, I can only imagine, um, if you're a fan of these singers, I feel like this would be a really fun movie. Sure. Uh, you know, if, if they made a DC talk movie exactly the way they made these, I would be on board. I'd love it because I mm -hmm. loved that band growing up and it would be really interesting. Now, part of me feels like it would be more interesting had, if they explore, like do a, a, the, the un 
you know, the, the unauthorized version. Yeah. Um, you know, really explore these guys who for 30 years have been, were deep, were the leaders essentially in Christian rock or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I still would find it interesting. I mean, it, this is like the Bohemian Rhapsody of, of Jeremy Camp in the sense that it, it doesn't dive into anything. You're not hearing anything new that right. you don't read on the Wikipedia about these people. Um, you know, it's same with, with there's, there's a movie called The Dirt about... Oh, right. Uh, is it about Motley Crue? Motley Crue. I didn't see it. it's just like, this is the MTV glossy yeah. version. Nothing is... Like, we know all this stuff. And I'm not even a fan of Motley Crue. And I knew all of this stuff. It's just like, of course, they look bad, but they look bad in the way that Motley Crue wants to look bad. Sure, of course. You know, like, yeah, we did. Like, of course, they're going to say, yeah, we did all these drugs. That was their platform. And so um, anyway, in, in the same way. So I, I would say if you're a fan, but if not, watch Wait, are we talking? Which movie are you talking about? I still believe. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Watch uh, the, the, the watch a walk to remember. Sure. It's I, I haven't seen it. It sounds movie. interesting. It'll give you the feels. Mm -hmm. uh, understand that. Like, I feel like even though it's a Nicholas Sparks story that intentionally makes you cry, I feel like it understands the human condition more yeah. than this movie. That's a real story that work so hard to make you cry like this is yeah. the part where you cry because the music's telling you and the, the camera work is telling you yeah. it's got all the elements to tell you to cry but it, it ha if those elements weren't there it's not enhancing an emotion that you already have yeah yeah that's a good that's a great way of putting it um and uh yeah we'll go ahead and, and leave it there uh wait but do you recommend it that's a good point uh, i didn't actually say for my listeners, I'd say no, um, it, be, mostly because like there, there aren't many Christian films that I would recommend. Like just because it is making progress doesn't mean that it's arrived. You know, it's like Christian film is still is still on its way. Mm -hmm. And that's about that. And that's about uh, as far as I would go. But uh, yeah, I, I'm far more likely to recommend a movie like uh, Breakthrough or God's Not Dead 3, more mm -hmm. for the educational aspect of it. Yeah. If you want to see a Christian movie that, like, is still a cringe, they're still cringy Christian movies, but are able to pull off, like, character development and storytelling, and good, you know, they look like real movies, those are two movies that are surprisingly yeah. uh, interesting to yeah. watch. And, and are all of those things. I still need to watch God's Not Dead 3. Like, it's, you know, by the time you get to the I third one... Up, you're probably going to watch it and be like, what is Kevin talking about? But I would really... Maybe we could come on and do another podcast and... Sure. Oh, that'd be fun. Because I would love to hear your thoughts about okay. the movie. Maybe come on my show. And, sure. Uh, and, and share your uh, per professional perspective. <laughs> That sounded so sarcastic. Just your professional your perspective. Professional perspective. <laughs> Adjunct instructor. Got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's making me sound I fantastic. got it. Um, but yeah, so uh, listeners, uh, thank you so much for uh, for 
tuning in. Um, and then uh, if you want to check out Kevin's stuff, you can go to saygoodnightkevin.com. Be sure to uh, watch his uh, many videos, uh, often very insightful and entertaining. And uh, just a reminder uh, to check out Real Redemption, The Rise of Christian Cinema at Faith Life TV. And I think that is about it. Kevin, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Anytime. And thank That's you. Not sarcasm. I appreciate that. Yes. Uh, and thank you at home for listening and we'll get you next time. Bye.